This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 31st episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's podcast, myself and Brent Robinson reflect on the series for the PDCA model for learning teams facilitators. We also take the opportunity to answer some questions from the community, including Do I have to commit to Safety Toot or Hop to use learning teams? And the name learning teams is being used by lots of different people and organisations. Where did it all start? We'll then discuss the release of our first learning teams video on everyday learning teams. And don't forget that in today's show notes, you'll have a link for you to register and download a PDF version of the PDCA framework. We're granting access to this document to the learning teams community under the Creative Commons copyright, which means that you are free to copy, communicate and adapt the work for non-commercial purposes, as long as you attribute the work to Learning Teams Inc. and abide by the copyright terms. Next week in episode 32, we will return to our normal series and I'm joined by Jim Posey, where we'll discuss his journey with Learning Teams and his new podcast show on Safety FM called Safety Wars. We hope that you enjoy the series as we continue our journey of learning and improving with Learning Teams. Well, guys, well, what a ride. We are now wrapping up our uh, PDCA uh, model for learning teams facilitators. And I got to say, guys, we've had some amazing feedback from people. And we've had companies from large uh, organizations in the motor- automotive industry, uh, the construction industry, and the manufacturing sector, and all the way down to small businesses all downloading that model. So it's really great from my point of view that it's actually resonated with so many people. Yeah, I think the feedback I've been getting is that um, people are really appreciative of the whole um, the whole process and the, the work that went into putting that model together. And um, I found it really, really useful. And actually framing it in that PDCA framework has really helped a lot of people just give it a slightly different view. I think that's been really important. Well, I, I, look, I, I think it. absolutely, and, and look, it's trying to it's trying to bridge people between these two worlds. Yeah. So, so there's no doubt that that people love the concept of a learning team. They like the the construct of having that rich dialogue, but I think sometimes they they get a little bit um, there's a little bit of uncertainty because everyone keeps saying to them it's about that whole free sort of free flowing nature of a learning team. That yeah. it organically evolves, just like our podcast shows. Mm. They organically evolve. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they sure do. So, so I think you know, p- part of what sat sort of you know from our perspective, what sat behind the scenes was that we we want we want people to be successful. We want people to give these things a go. So, how can we provide them with some form of guiding frame that allows that to be seen? Yeah. I think, you know, what people that I've spoken to like is that, you know, that they've been out in the 
out in the wilds there and people talk about a process and it's not a process you know what what we're giving them is a frame to work within but it, it, it really fits their organization there's no one two three four things you have to worry about it's just here is a framework to work within and people like that you know and there's no prescribed way of capturing stuff or you know if you want to use post-it notes we've all had that discussion about those things or whiteboards or whatever it may be they like the idea that it, it has that there is a bit of freedom within that frame absolutely and you know like everything else um think of it i think we use the analogy the difference between baking a cake and cooking a chicken baking a cake if you don't get those ingredients just right it can be a total disaster yep. cooking a chicken you need salt and fat and a bit of love okay yeah. and you you can tweak it Okay. Yeah, you can throw it back. You can throw it back on the barbie. Absolutely, and and that chicken is going to have a lot of resilience yes. how it's being cooked. But that cake is going to be really sensitive between that five or ten degrees and that five or ten minutes of baking. And if you left the sugar out, you're in real trouble. Absolutely, or if you add any other type of powder to it, you could be in a whole different type of trouble. Or very happy. Or very happy. That's right. Particularly if you've come from Denver. So, you know, if we go back to the key point, it, think of it as that guiding frame. So it's a bit like cooking a chicken. You know, what the, you know what the core ingredients are for it to be good. You can dabble, you can play, you can add more, you can add less, and you can see what comes about from it. But you don't have to start at ingredient one, measure it, add it slowly, watch it build, you know, you can do them in different types of sequences. So I think from that point of view, the feedback from people has been amazing. So well, I, I like your, I like your chicken analogy, because if you don't get it quite right, you can always reflect on it, can't you? And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, yeah, and, and come and back what, and put barbecue yeah. sauce on it next time to cover up any... Uh, yeah, or Uber Eats. And yeah. I'm, ex I'm expecting a big discount voucher from Uber Eats for, for that shout out. I think you should get twenty five percent off your next meal. Absolutely, absolutely. So at the end of the day, but the thing is, you simply, you know, when you if you cook a chicken, if you get it wrong, yep. you reflect on it, you learn from it, and you cook a better chicken next time. I like I like this analogy. It's you like the chicken analogy? Yeah, yeah. the learning team chicken analogy. I think <laughs> that could be the next document to leave. Well, look, it could team. be the learning team's cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> And I know Todd will do the Mexican section. Okay. He he is on. He's so fish, ta on fish, ta fish tacos. Fish, is fish tacos. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So well, what, you got some. You got quite a few questions back as well, didn't you? As part of that. Yeah. Look, we we did, and it was really interesting. So so uh, I think there were really two. There were two threads that came from that from the questions that people asked us, and I think the first question was about. Do I have to commit to safety two or hop to use learning teams? And I think that's that's really fascinating. And I remember a conversation with Todd, and and he said we shouldn't be creating this divide between systems. Yep. Creating these divides between systems is, is actually dangerous. Yes. And he says what you need because to become about. Becomes evangelical, then, doesn't it? Well, it, well, it does, uh, and you know, undoubtedly, there's there's no doubt there are people out there, um, those early adopters, those evangelical people that will do that. They love the safety robes, 
they buy them in a myriad of colors and they want to wear them and, and yep. good on them. But what Todd talked about is that we have to find a way to bridge things. Yep. And it doesn't matter what your system is, that when you understand or see, particularly when we look at events, you understand that difference between work is imagined and work is done, that is operational learning. Yes. Now, operational learning is going to exist whether you've got a safety one system, whether your system's built on ISO 45001, whether your system's built on HOP or on safety two. Don't you think it's more about <clears throat> if people are going to use learning teams, it's more about adapting your system so you can use a learning team. You don't have to have a particular system for a learning team. You have to, you're, you're just got to be willing to say, I'm going to give this a go. Yeah, well, if, if you think of a learning team as a method of continuous improvement, yeah, you've got to say, do I want continuous improvement? Yes. Now, if you don't, then That's don't good. do a learning team. No. And don't do any continuous improvement. Absolutely. But I think, to be fair, I think the core principles of HOP are really important. And, and, and I love that classic one from Todd, is that... You can't blame and learn at the same time. Yeah. It's a really simple sentence, but it's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And there's no doubt that learning teams help organizations understand the narrative and see things not at an individual's level where blame wants to naturally sort of evolve or come yeah. out because of hindsight becomes obvious. But because the learning team is done in that group dynamic, the organization gets to see that whole group environment and that's group's knowledge and understanding. So, so I think from that, from that point of view, um, we can't help how people feel. No. And it is natural for us to react to things in certain ways. We can react as an adult. We can react as a child. But even with HOP, the fact is from time to time, you're going to have a negative reaction. Yeah. Okay. So it's about, it's a sort of understanding that what a learning team is really going to do, it's going to basically show that environment. But if we think about learning teams outside of events, if we think about using a learning team to do a review of critical risks or using a learning team to do a review of critical controls. Yep. Um, that's now we're using learning team as a methodology to improve risk management. Yeah. Which Does leadership need to be involved? No. Based we don't need the permission. Absolutely. You don't need the leadership's permission to use a learning team as a methodology to review risk. And it's interesting. I, I ran a poll on LinkedIn the other week and I, I asked this question. If, if you wanted to try learning teams, where would you try it? And the options were event-based learning teams, using learning teams to review uh, uh, critical risks, using learning teams to review critical controls, or using learning teams for everyday work. 70% of people said for everyday work. Yeah. Events <clears throat> was the lowest in the list. Yeah. And what do you think drives that? Is it that people, because of the emotion around events, or is it they're just not ready to do it with an event yet? Well, you, you got to remember that we actually don't have that many events. No, no, no. And 
Obelagle yeah. has that document that he put out. Is a, that's a really, really powerful document as well. I think people should really have a read of that and dig into that because that's been really interesting. Absolutely. So, so the fact is, without putting a ratio on things, unlike Heinrich's pyramid, and, and, and by the way, um, yeah, we, we might be releasing a video soon showing um, how Heinrich may have been misunderstood and how he may have been a bigger visionary than what people realize. Very controversial there, Brent. It will be very controversial. Um, but I've enjoyed that, that, that book uh, from Carsten on Heinrich's life. Um, great read. I've slept very well afterwards. So, you know, if we go back to it, the fact is that um, there are less events than there are incidents. And there are less incidents than everyday work. Yes. And it's only at everyday work that you see that high frequency and that high similarity. Yeah. And I think that's what's exciting people. Because yeah. that's the holy grail. That's the holy grail. So have you been asked about measuring that and how we, how we look at that? Well, look, I, I think that's natural that people try to do that. And that's why I was so excited that we released our, our first video um, on Everyday Learning Teams to, to show people how um, Everyday Learning Teams can be used to solve um, a business problem and how we can use capturing that business intelligence at the everyday operational level. And that data is both qualitative in terms of understanding its meaning and its purpose yep. and also quantitative at the same time the reaction i've got from people that have uh, watched that video and working with those some of those businesses it's been really really interesting that people feel for the first time that there's something they can do with it and it, and it has some meaning and it's bringing more meaning to it particularly as you do it on a daily basis and it's moving and it's adapting all the time and people can see the adaption that's going on within the well, workforce. Absolutely. And, you know, I've had so many emails and uh, LinkedIn messages saying, where can we buy those magnetic boards? Okay. Let, let's share with everyone now, they're not for sale. Okay. That board was designed as a solution for the workers by the workers. We simply facilitated and provided that outcome to them. Um, if we took that tool, so whilst, whilst it's extremely useful for other environments, if we simply took it and then imposed it on workers, we're going to go back to where we started from. Yeah. We want workers to basically determine those types of things. Yes, the reality is a lot of that stuff we've created will get other use. Yeah. But buying it as a tool and saying it's going to fix everything is not the answer because no. it's simply imposing something. And they, and they adapted the, they adapted it, didn't they? You know, oh, started, well, off, started off on the hood of the vehicle and ended up on the side of the vehicle. It was their moving whiteboard, effectively. And, and that is a great example of demonstrating micro-experimenting. Yeah. That, that we, we took the learnings from those learning teams and came up with something that we thought would address that. And, and because that buy-in existed... And those people were committed to that. They took it and they used it for so many other things. Yeah. Now, I, I can sit here now and say to you, 
that must have been because I thought it was valuable. Yeah. Otherwise, it would look the same on day one as it did on day 10. And it wasn't, it was changing during the day that, you know, the day that we were there filming. They were, you know, using it, adapting it, changing it, marking it, ticking it. And it was them doing it. It wasn't a supervisor or a, a, even a safety person. They were working it. Yep, they, they had ownership. Happen. They had ownership. Total ownership. And they were taking pride in their work. So I think so. I think from those perspectives, and once again, um, you know, because we were micro experimenting, we were delivering technology that allowed us to build things on the fly. Yeah. So you know, I was talking to someone today, and I explained to them that um, whatever time we spent developing the doing the learning teams was about the same amount of time um, delivering that that first bit of the app. Mm. But so also... these things were measured in hours. Yeah. In days, they weren't oh. measured in days, weeks, or months. Well, I had a uh, I had a company that will remain nameless saying, "Oh, you know, we'd like to integrate that into our um, into our system." And I think you know, as soon as you lock it up into a system that people can't get to really, really easily, that's not ubiquitous, then it it loses its loses its value. And what are you well, doing it for? Who, who's who's been made happy by that outcome? Absolutely. What's the, what's, what's the need that they need? Um, and what's the implication? You know, and we need to understand that. And once again, the other thing that was really fascinating was the fact that it created self feedback. Yeah. That the workers didn't 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 need the organisation to give them feedback anymore. They were getting no. self feedback. Yeah. It was a it was a very cool outcome. Yeah, I I, I sense a whole new book coming out from it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> book and the app the book and the app, and the app all those things so once again i think you know from that point of view there's some exciting times and then really the the, the other question that was asked um or the theme that came through was that um you know the name the name learning teams is being used by lots of different people and lots of organizations yeah and where did it all start and there's no doubt when i was talking to jay allen the other week at safety fm Jay said that basically um, since the since our book got released, the name learning team's just been used everywhere. Yeah, well, if you now, search it on LinkedIn, you see it more and more now. Absolutely. Which is, which and, is, in one respect, it's really good, right? That's a fantastic outcome. It's, it's getting some notoriety and, and some use, but it could also be weaponized your favorite word well absolutely and and once again yeah that goes back to the purpose of the book the purpose of the book was to share a whole lot of intellectual property to community to help bridge people from where they are now to this to this different view of engaging with workers and this different view of using operational learning so I think from that point of view, that, that's been successful. But you're right, there is that risk of weaponization. And it sort of goes back to about where did it all start. And, and once again, it's really important. It goes back to Todd's original work, you know, in his book, The Better Questions. And for our listeners today, um, at the end of this um, podcast, we'll be playing a little nine-minute um, section where Todd will basically talk about his first learning team, where it came from. Yep. And I think that's amazing because at the end of the day, um, you know, learning teams have been around for a while. And, and I, I recall uh, I wrote a machinery safety course about three years ago 
where um, we use learning teams as the main principle to understand how workers interface with machinery. But we didn't call it a learning team because our audience were engineers. And engineers yeah. don't like that type of language. I think they're starting to get used to it now, though. You know, it's well, well, absolutely. They're, they're, three they're years becoming, on, they've adapted. They're, they're becoming big softies. They're becoming big softies. Oh, yeah, I not that part. Yeah, but what, what they realised was, and, and what we spoke about, is that no one method of doing hazard ID and risk analysis can work. No one method. Yeah. That you no need multiple methods to get the best view. Yeah. So, um, and that was a classic example. We, we developed three years ago a, a critical thinking checklist around machinery, which didn't ask the question about, you know, can you be entangled? You know, where's the, where's the, uh, the entrapment hazard? It, it, it posed the question, you know, when you do your work, how can you become entrapped on the machine? Yeah. Or how can you come into contact with something? Totally other way of asking the question. Absolutely about being about being curious and about those things. And what it did was that 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 critical reflective checklist. What it did was is it basically took people from not knowing what they knew to that next level. Yeah. Okay. We made them consciously incompetent, so they now they now knew what they didn't know. I like, I, I, I like those uh, words that particularly Glynis likes using. Yes, I've tried to channel my best Glynis tonight. Um, I would try and do my own Mrs. Doubtfire, but it just wouldn't flow well. No, no. That, it's the wrong way. thing to do. It is. Uh, but, but if we went back to that, I mean, so the fact is that we, we wanted to, um, we wanted uh, workers who are exposed to the risk of the machinery to be active participants. Yeah. We had engineers who had really good knowledge about the physical elements of machinery and around, you know, forces and, and revolutions per minute and, you know, uh, kilotons and kilonewtons and all these great language. Engineering language. Engineering language. Yeah. But they struggled to understand the human dynamic. Yeah. Because machines are binary. It either does or it doesn't function. Yeah. Humans are all over the place. So if we go back to that, we, we were using learning teams then to help engineers see the context of how people operate with machinery without having to call it a learning team. Yeah. And it's that context that then improved the actual risk assessment process. And, and what I've seen from all that work that's been done and all those people, the hundreds of people that have gone through that course now, is that there are far fewer administrative controls. There are far more engineering and isolation controls. controls yeah. yeah, because they Another finally realized that, um, that the risk is in the opportunity of the gap on a machine, not why would someone put their hand in? Yeah. There was a sign saying, don't put your hand in. Mm. Okay, so now the engineers realize that it's an opportunity. <laughs> So don't ask why. If there's a gap, it's an opportunity. Assume they will. Assume they will. So, so I think from my point of view, like everything else, um, there are some <clears> examples of where we have integrated learning teams 
in as part of normal practice without even calling it a learning team. Yeah, which is great because it's just become part of what people do. It's become part of that that whole process now. And it's not a process, but it's become part of their their process when they look at something. Well, I think it's really widened it out. Absolutely, and it's changed that conversation, and it's good to change that conversation. Yeah. And learning teams will continue to evolve. So, like everything else, um, you know, this whole thing around, uh, you know, the PDCA model, um, and, and look, particularly, it was really interesting um, that the whole the difference between check and study, and the difference between act and apply was really fascinating for some people. Mm that they, they sort of realized that um, if you look at how the hazard is performing, the thing that can harm you, that is a check. Yeah. Makes sense? It, it, it has a physical state. It can do something. But they then understood that you actually can't check about how a person is performing. It's really difficult. So, so they were actually quite excited by this whole notion of studying, which is understanding why that job is being performed successfully. And then they also found it interesting that rather than saying act on something, that whole language of apply. Yeah. And they, and they felt that that meant that we moved away from this need to have corrective actions and that shift towards learnings. Do you think that it changed their view that when you check something, it's a, a very short instance in time on the continuum? versus when you study something you study it over a much longer period so you get to see a wider range of yeah or, or set frequency absolutely yeah. and that's what an everyday learning team is yeah. but they sort of they came to that conclusion that a check is a high level cursory thing mm. and yes it's a, for, if we go back if it's a machine we're checking if the safety functions work yes okay it's easy. That's a, a physical, it's a binary yeah. thing. Yeah. Light curtain working. Yeah. Works. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but the study part is that conversation with the worker. Does the worker understand what the purpose of a light curtain is? Does the worker understand its function? Yes. Does the worker understand when it can or can't function correctly? Well, it, it brings me back to a, a project I worked on many years ago where there was a light curtain and um, there was a, sadly a guy was um, killed. And what happened was that he knew what the light curtain was there for, he was an electrician, and he got it reset when he went on the inside of the light curtain because he wanted to check something on the machine. What he didn't know, what the machine was going to do next. Yeah. And sadly, it, and we've got to understand why those things happen not say that well he should have known that he shouldn't have uh, gone inside the light curtain because he felt that he needed to get in there and um you know we're going to see those things happen from time to time sadly but you know the, the more conversations we have the more we'll understand about the why yeah well to think of a light curtain like a, a railway crossing mm. you know if you want to get around it you can get around it yes Yes, it's not a permanent barrier. No, no, absolutely not. Um, whereas, you know, it's a very, very low-level engineering control. Mm. There are other types of controls, but we understand why people need to use it, and that, and yeah. that's fine as well. 
but all these things, what it keeps coming back to, and, and I think if I can go back to what Todd talked about, are you trying to manage how the hazard is performing? Or you're trying to influence how people are being exposed to the hazard. Yeah. One requires true. checking and acting. One requires studying and applying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'd be a really good conversation as we move forward that we start to think about those two things. Yeah. And I think we're so much you know, in, in the businesses that I've been involved in, we're so much more about the uh, checking and acting because it's a much, it's quicker and you, you it's instant gratification sometimes. Like oh, I've gratification. got a list. Yeah, I've got a list. I've done you the know? job today. Was we're the guy wearing tape. a hard hat? Yes. It, yeah, of course he was. Um, and, I, you know, and that's going to be, that's going to be a change. It's going to take some time to, to get around. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think, and once again, we're not saying that checklists are bad, but checklists constrain thinking. Yeah, they get it, it gets people to recall what the how they last saw it, rather than what the current state is now. Okay, so checklists are fallible by their nature. Um, and if that's the only thing you're relying on, then don't cry when it doesn't work out as intended. Well, I think it goes back to that question that you ask, you know, with a checklist, the guard is missing, cross, non-compliant, versus asking the question to get your work done today, um, you took the guard off, how does that help you get the work done today? Absolutely. Much more powerful question, because there'll be a reason for it quite often. Exactly. And, and look, and I, and I think we can all agree that it takes a mental mind shift to do that yeah and it's that mental mind shift of moving from being an expert where you're telling people to being that facilitator or that curious person yeah as it, well. it is it is that moving from that managerial type approach to that facilitation approach and yeah. it is a, it's a big shift it's really a, you know i feel myself fall back into it Time to time. Oh, absolutely, on. absolutely. And, and look, when we were on that um, uh, the book club the other week with Cyphopedia, with yeah. uh, Tamara and Gary Wong, and with uh, Rosa Carrillo, I, I'm super keen to get Rosa on the show to to have a talk about that whole human bit about her involvement with with um, Edgar Shine and the whole sort of oh, you know yeah. that whole sort of you know the whole curiosity and and humble inquiry stuff. Because cool that is that, that is super 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 powerful, super powerful. Plus a lovely lady, she mm. was she was amazing. Yeah. So, so I, cool. yeah, I, I think as as these things evolve and as people's thirst for gaining knowledge um, continues, then I think embracing these different views and perspectives uh, um, is actually quite good. All right. So look, um, uh, next week we'll be going back to a normal series. And we'll be joined by uh, Jim Posey. Um, and uh, Jim's been a, a, a long time health and safety professional. He's actually from New Jersey. And um, he, he drives over that bridge. And I said, is that the bridge that you see on the opening of The Sopranos? And he goes, it's the same bridge. So I'm <laughs> super excited about interviewing someone from New Jersey. And uh, Jim has just undertaken his own new podcast show as well called Safety Wars. 
That's cool. Which is interesting. So um, it's going to be a fascinating conversation with Jim. And like everything else, um, as we move through the balance of the year, we really want the community to um, sort of, um, you know, support us and and exploring other avenues that they find of interest as well. So people, don't be shy, come forward. We've got some exciting podcasts coming up, and we're really pleased that we're able to um, support people through their ongoing journey of learning and improving. Yes, and and the, the stuff we're doing that people are uh, getting some value and some benefit out of, which really excites us. Yeah, and, and look, and as our budget improves, we might do better videos. <laughs> yes. So you know, I I know our our country is famous for Lord of the Rings and um, Avatar, and and don't forget uh, Ragnarok with Thor. So we've we've done some great work. Come on, that was some great drone flying on that video. It was, it was. So as as we get better budget, who knows, we might produce better videos. Okay, so this comes from somebody um, whose name is Steve, who says to me, this one's really going to be interesting. Todd, in many ways, you're known as the person who initially introduced the concept of learning teams into contemporary safety thinking, certainly on an applied level. How did you come up with this idea? How did you select this name? And did you ever imagine this idea would get the traction and leverage that it's getting across the globe? Thanks for playing the podcast. I don't really play them. Oh, that was editorial. Thanks for playing the podcast. I listen as much as I possibly can. Signed, Steve. So, Steve, first of all, that's a really sweet question. I, so, I can tell you when the, the concept of learning teams started, and I can absolutely tell you that uh, this is not a new idea or novel idea. It's been around a long time. I mean, the whole idea of talking to workers seems kind of obvious, but maybe that's just because we're talking. But, I mean, people have been talking to workers a long time. And, and, and I think of things like the quality programs, at least in my career, when we went through quality circles. And, and when you look at lean thinking, go to the Gimba, talk to the worker. I mean, so I think the idea has been around a long time. Uh, I do, unfortunately, probably have to take the heat for the title that they've been given. And I, I, I can tell you this, if I would have thought for one millisecond that this concept learning teams would get as popular as it got, I would have called them something much, much more interesting than learning teams. I mean, learning teams is not a bad name. It's descriptive. And that's kind of why we picked it. But I don't think it's terribly clever and it's not something that, you know, you'd think, wow, that sounds so cool. Like quality circles sounded kind of cool. Learning teams is just kind of a description of what's happening and who's doing it, which, like I said, is kind of where we came up with them. So, so they happened. Uh, so the, the first learning team, learning team happened at Los Alamos National Laboratory. And, uh, and myself and a, a fellow named Chris Cantwell 
were discussing an event that had happened that was pretty interesting. The event that had transpired was, I would say it was a very interesting close call. It wasn't really an event, but the reason it wasn't an event is because it failed safely or failed luckily. And we'll have to sort of determine. But we had a grad student go into the field and set up a lightning monitor. Um, And the field in this case was the Gulf Coast of the United States. And in the process of setting up this lightning monitor, dropped a wrench into a battery pack, which was big, like lots of batteries in a bit. And it had a straight short across the DC battery pack. And so that's pretty, um, I mean, that's, that's potentially, it could be a bad event, right? I mean, it, it had all the makings of something that was really bad, but instead what he did was went and got a stick off the ground and poked it in the battery box and kicked the wrench off and stopped the short and then crossed his fingers, hooked everything up, turned it on and hoped it would work. And it worked. So then the grad student comes back to the laboratory, to our facility, and that next week he has to take electrical safety training, which seems a little bit uh, uh, horse before the cart. No, cart before the horse. If you know, It seems like, the, seems like you'd want him to take that before he went in the field and hooked up some elaborate DC system that he could short out with a wrench. But, but that's neither here nor there. So he went to the electrical safety training, which um, was – given by a guy named Lloyd Gordon, who's great. I mean, he's, he's an amazing electrical safety dude. And he told them that everything should be reported in the ability to learn better. And then the grad student said, well, what if this happens in the field? And Lloyd says, Oh, if that happened, you definitely need to report that. So the grad student, because he wants to get a job at the laboratory and he wants to be a good student and he wants to make his mentors happy. He comes back and reports on himself. And so the division that had this event had this event and they had to do something and they didn't want to do an investigation because they didn't want to punish the guy, but they didn't know what else to do. And that takes us to Chris Cantwell and myself standing in the hallway and we're standing in the hallway of our office. And Chris says, I I wish there was a way we could just bring together a bunch of workers and just ask them to help formulate the problem and ask them to help create the solution. And I said, well, let's do it. I mean, there's totally a way to do that. We just do it. I'll, I'll take that action tomorrow. And so we did. We, we got some people together, peers. We didn't have the grad student himself at, in, the, in the learning team because at the time we didn't think that would be good. But we had peers and people who had expertise in that kind of field work. And they came together, and the rest is kind of history. The first meeting was amazing because we started learning so much more stuff. We had a second meeting and the second meeting was really interesting because that artificial break between meeting one and meeting two allowed us to really shift into sort of understanding and doing some findings, some, some conclusions, maybe some fixes in that case. And it was so interesting because we thought we were going to actually go into this learning team to look at an electrical safety problem. But what we ended up actually coming out of the learning team with was really a pretty damning set of information, not a report, but a set of information on how poorly we were at actually managing and supervising grad students. And it changed the entire program, and it was really, really important and very successful. And we started calling it a learning team because, again, it was descriptive. It's, this was a team that was set up to learn. 
And that's how we kicked it off. And that's kind of what started. And we did a bunch of them at Los Alamos because it kind of fit the culture. And they sort of took off and they started being used for operational reasons. And from there, we, we just kind of thought it was something we did. In fact, I think what we thought at Los Alamos is that every place did these, not just us. I mean, every place must do these. We, we, this is just, we just stumbled on this because other people didn't tell us. Long story short is not every place does this. And I remember the next time we took them out, we took them out for General Electric because they were doing a, a kind of a new view safety program really around the globe. And that's where we started rolling out learning teams. And that's where Bob Edwards actually got involved in the learning teams as well. And what's amazing is that we kept them purposely unstructured. We didn't have a certification or qualification or training. We we kept them really loosey-goosey. And we didn't put a lot of parameters around it because we didn't really care about the parameters around it. What we cared about was the ability to identify the problem by people who actually do the work and then create some kind of conclusion, findings or, or judgment of needs or corrective actions or fixes based upon what the team thought was there. And we just, we started doing them and they were hugely successful. And what's interesting, at least to me, is that we kind of lost control of them, which is great. I mean, that's, that is the highest compliment you can have. And they started using them for everything, not just safety, but they started using them for operational issues or, or uh, analysis issues. And that's kind of the origin of the learning team. What makes me so excited is that other people around the globe have taken this and ran with it. I mean, fast ran with it. And now it's kind of a thing all its own. And it's a thing all its own, not because I said, call it a learning team. I'm pretty sure that didn't matter at all. But because people found the tool to be incredibly helpful and move the organization forward and get better at operational learning. So, Steve, that is the longest answer to that question I could possibly think. And I wasn't even trying to go long, but I went long because I had to tell you a lot of the story. Thank you for asking. That was very kind of you. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com. And be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.